Welcome to the Tiny Podcast Bicentennial Special. My name is Ryan Ward, and today I have Dr. Diane Claire Kearney and Rhonda Filbert here to talk about race and equity within Manchester. Thank you both for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, excited about being here. Yeah, I know it was a little hard finding the park. That's my fault for not giving you guys <laughs> no, good instructions. A, no, it's all right. Thank you so much. Yeah, Rhonda, you've actually, of, you've yeah, actually been to this park a lot, absolutely. right? Absolutely. This is one of my favorite places. This is where I come walk, meditate, put some music in my ears. Nice. I, I love this park. It's right down the street from where I live. That's so beautiful. It's an easy, easy, easy for me to get to. So when I saw Northwest Park, I'm like, oh, I know how to get there. <laughs> She's I just a veteran. Was the, I was at the pavilion. I didn't know that we were going yeah. to be here. Yeah, well, Welcome to our studio. Into the studio, yeah. 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 Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely no. I, I didn't even think about it until I walk until I drove in. I said, "Wait a minute, where should I go?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's like, yeah, you come in. A there's nice like tour. four buildings. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, thank you both for being here. I, I obviously we we're going to talk about race and equity within Manchester. That's a, a pretty big topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but you both helped work on a a timeline almost of of. Just how yeah. how would you describe that timeline that you that you worked on? Well, it was a, a again a racialized mm. timeline, and I created the timeline because when you're feeling disconnected or mm. perhaps not heard, mm. there's this need to to prove yourself. And I speak for myself, and you know that sort of comes and aligns with who I am. Mm-hmm. That I felt compelled to share the story so that people could see that race did make a difference in Manchester and that we sort of have to embrace that, own Mm -hmm. that, and perhaps begin to participate in courageous conversations about race. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, I think that that was a, one of the things that I learned most about reading that timeline was just the, the the conversation, implementing the conversation, it not being a conversation for a long time, it being a very un you know ac- accepted, unfortunately. Yeah. Which you know it was it for you know still working on that, but I think again some of the some frightening things on that timeline. Mm-hmm. There's some very frightening and, and oh, yeah. eye opening realizations from yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important to note that I didn't create that timeline in isolation mm. because I felt like I had to talk to many, many sources mm-hmm. to sort of validate the experiences to sort of bring to life again what's happening in Manchester. Yeah. So yeah, Rhonda played a big role and you know at the bottom of it there's a list of tons of sources yeah. to sort of again affirm the yeah. truth behind mm-hmm. the story of yeah. Manchester and race. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to add to what Diane said that it's it was uh, at the time that we we got together with others mm. to create a timeline. It was just so necessary to be able to shine a light on race relations in mm. Manchester. Not only for those of us that work for the school district, but for those that that live in live in town also, because it it's knowledge that people don't have an idea about. Yeah. People have been here for you know for a long time in terms of even working for the district. And anytime we go, uh, Diane and I. Um, we go and we do a training and mm-hmm. we that includes a timeline. Nine times out of ten, most of the people in the room are so unfamiliar with um, race relations in Manchester. Yeah. So it's real important that we're able to provide that uh, insight in terms of what's happened in Manchester over over time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think they're more surprised yeah. than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What are they, they surprised about? Well, they don't believe that what we shared occurred. And certainly didn't incur, occur the way that um, we perceived it. Hmm. They believed that they didn't witness that, and so perhaps it didn't happen hmm. 
or I don't remember that. Interesting. So it didn't happen. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a military uh, phrase that I'm always familiar that always speaks to me, which is perception is reality. Right. And I think that you know, if it's being perceived, you know, by you know by the people who are creating this timeline, and they're not happy with the perception, it's maybe a well, maybe you have to look at the reality of the situation, and and that is that is how it's being perceived, and that's because it's what what happened, you know. Um, so that's that's very interesting. So I would love to touch on some of those sections of of that timeline. Sure. You know, we can kind of go through it, but you you both have a background in education. That is that is you know that's so. Can you can you both speak, uh, Diane, if you don't mind? Can you speak on your your back background for you know what you've been doing and stuff how the, how you've now come to where you are now sure I, I actually started by teaching English at the high school level and you know my first experience with understanding the disconnect between perhaps me and my colleagues or me and administration mm -hmm. was that I taught Malcolm X, oh, wow. and the parents did not like that at all. They were very upset, very bothered, went to the principal. I had to have a meeting with the principal. I said, but it, it is a book in the book room, Yeah. so why can't I teach it? And to me, it's another form of educating those within the Manchester community about what race means and what racism or what the impact of racism has had on the community at large. So that was the, you know, certainly the beginning. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I taught English, I taught French, mm -hmm. and then I went into administration. Mm -hmm. And while I was in administration, I did create two different programs, grads and stars. Oh, okay. Again, as ways to, again, give students of color or mo the most marginalized students opportunities to be successful. So I stars was, was a... Um, was a mentoring program. Mm -hmm. But grads actually was a class where we handpicked teachers to teach students again, uh, or at least to um, take that student who perhaps is in an average class, mm -hmm. but has the potential to be in an above average class, mm -hmm. and give them the opportunity, because it's about relationships first. Yeah. And so I, I did that. And then I became um, a vice principal. Mm -hmm. And then this can go on and on. And on <laughs> remember, we're at the end of our career, Ryan. Yeah. So please understand that, right? Yeah, but you're, but a very decorated career. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And then um, when I began to share the data mm -hmm. with the district mm -hmm. and with the principal, they created a position for me, and that's where the first equity position came about. Okay. Under Alan Biteman, he was a superintendent at the time. Okay, and yeah. so I became that person. But then they eliminated the position a couple mm -hmm. years later. Mm -hmm. And then I became the director of Bentley, the alternative program. Mm -hmm. And then eventually became the, what did I do next? And then I became uh, adult ed director. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then now, most recently, I'm the director, again, of race and equity within so you, this has schools. just been from the beginning. This is oh yeah 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 from the very beginning. Rhonda, what so was your journey like? Ooh, how much time do you have? So <laughs> just like, right, right, right. It's a long journey. As long as you can give me. Trying to think of my resume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a long journey. So I am going to say that I am originally from Brooklyn, New York, mm -hmm. and um, as far as my first jobs, I actually worked for. Um, uh, I have a degree, a degree in, well, my bachelor's was in community health. And so I actually worked for the Health and Hospitals Corporation okay. in New York City in Brooklyn for a few years. I, I worked on, don't laugh, but I worked on the um, 
the ward where people were detoxing from drugs. Oh, and so okay. that was like really an eye opener for me. Oh, yeah. And then after I, I, I did that, I worked for what is DCF here, but it's called um, CPS in New York. So I worked for that for, for that city mm-hmm. um, agency for a while. And then that's a long story. And then after that, I, um, I got married, had kids. And I said, well, I want to be home with my children. Yeah. So I then, um, I, that's how I got into the school system. Yeah. And so I started out teaching uh, human biology in a high school in Brooklyn. And I just loved it. I yeah. loved it. I loved it. I loved I loved the energy of the children. But this is way back in the Don't Laugh in the 80s. <laughs> you laugh first. You were probably born then. I was probably born during that time. And... Um, but then after that, I decided to move to Connecticut, mm. and it, and I moved to Connecticut. And I actually worked for the health department in Hartford oh, okay. for a while, perinatal coordinator, where I supervised women who had high risk pregnancies. Mm. And um, I'm just going to say, in terms of um, equity work mm. and work related to cultural competence, and mm. that's always been like Diane. It's always been work that I've. Um, that I've done, like when I taught science, I made sure the children, uh, almost all black school, uh, make sure the children knew who were who black people were that made contributions to science because back then in the 80s, that was never talked about. So it was a matter of doing my own personal research and because I didn't learn it either. Yeah. But then if I wanted to you know, get the attention of the children that I taught in that, in that particular school, then I had to be able to talk about people who looked like them and represented who they were and represented their backgrounds. Yeah. And so that's what, uh, that's what I did there. And then I worked for the health department in Hartford, and, and when I worked for that health department, of course, most of the women that I um, worked with in terms of the outreach workers who I supervised and the clients were women of color. Mm-hmm. They had high-risk pregnancies for various social reasons. You know, mm-hmm. we looked at those social determinants uh, related to health and housing and, and that. And then that kind of, uh, once again, um, my interest peaked, and I said, well, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get a master's in public health because when you look at those numbers in terms of infant mortality mm-hmm. and low birth weight and all of that, it impacts black women um, in a in a disparate way than it does white women. And so that's that was another something else that I got yeah. into. And then, of course, I finally landed in Manchester Public Schools at around 1996. Mm-hmm. And in Manchester Public Schools, I taught health ed to um, both schools, Illing and Manchester High School. Okay. Yeah. And then... Diane uh, <laughs> became my my supervisor. There was a, a position that that was um, offered called it was called at that time culturally competent cultural competent trainer facilitator, yeah, facilitator. or something like that. Yeah. And I said, hey, this is going to be right up my alley. Yeah. And I went ahead and applied for it, and I did get the job. And I just I love the job. I love the training. But as Diane says, at that point in time, it was the 1990s, and Manchester was definitely going through their transition mm-hmm. where we had project concern, and then we had um, an influx of people of color moving into town. And it was really not a pretty time for Manchester, and I guess we'll talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. 
And then so, um, and here I am. I'm here, the race and equity coordinator, and uh, Diane is my supervisor. And so we've worked together for for years, oh, yeah. many, many, many years. And so, um, yeah, Manchester, in terms of race relations, like we just talked about, still evolving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still evolving. Yeah. But a direct response mm-hmm. to our lived experience. Yeah. Right? And I think not to mention what we witnessed as teachers, mm-hmm. as educators, yes, you know, as supervisors or as mm-hmm. uh, principals, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, yeah. and I think that that's important to know. Yeah, you know, it's it's not because you know, um, you know, the the district decided, oh, we should definitely do this because it's the right thing to do. Right. We did this because we felt like, my gosh, we don't want our the students to live what we lived, to experience what we experienced. So. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Thank you again both for being here and sharing your stories. And <laughs> We're very lucky to have you, honestly, and Manchester is too, so thank you for that. So how, how did the housing and urban development affect Manchester, and how did people react to it? Yeah, so all towns in the country were supposed to participate in some sort of subsidized housing. Mm-hmm. That was the, the era at the time. Okay. And But there were 10 towns in the whole country mm-hmm. that said, no, I'm not doing that. So they were sued by the federal government. Oh, okay. And Manchester was one of those towns. Mm. And Manchester's response was, you know, we don't need this. We're fine the way that we are. So um, everything is going to be just fine. And even, if you notice, even at the end of the, the article, which was a New York Times article, mm-hmm. we even find this data, this information, It indicates that um, Manchester, in fact, did very little hiring of people of color. Mm. And so they sort of wanted to keep this culture. At least that's the perception based on the facts. Right. Right. That was shared. Yeah. Because, I mean, if there's not people being hired and there's not they're not allowing for this housing, then how? What else, what else, what other options are there at that point? What else, what else, what else, what potential for confusion is there? Right. Understood. Right. And right. so, and then further, let's, let's further that theme mm-hmm. of, and in the eighties there was a fire bombing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. was at that was at the home of of a uh, uh, black resident in Manchester. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So now we've got. We don't want the housing, and now we're now we're throwing firebombs in in town at at targeted targeted individuals. Now that was, I think, if I remember correctly on the timeline, that was not necessarily proven to be a a, a an act of racism, but it was a white on black firebombing. Say something like that too, in response to the the subsidized housing. Exactly. That okay, but. We didn't end up having to pay a fine, you know, so basically we didn't do anything wrong, but really you did. Right. Because it goes beyond Like you said, Ryan, earlier, perception is reality. Mm -hmm. And I went to school here, so I've walked a day. Mm-hmm. You know, I've walked a day in the shoes of being a resident, lifelong resident in a town where I felt othered. Yes. You know, in the 70s. Mm-hmm going into the 80s, just so that we're crystal clear. Yeah. And speaking of which, just to sort of transition, I know you're talking about the community, but yeah. even within the school system, you know, under Lou Irvin, they created that position because of the tension between students mm. in the 70s. I graduated from Manchester High School in 1977, 
but I, I started in middle school when it was Bennett. I think it was had to be Bennett Middle School. I can't remember. Yeah. That's when they had two middle schools, right? So, right. Um, but I, I went to Bennett, and I can remember, I can remember the number of times that I was reminded to go back to Africa, that I was called the N-word, that I shouldn't worry about it, that everything is going to be okay. And so I believe it was in the late 70s, right after my graduation, actually, they hired Lou Irvin because of all the tension mm -hmm. to sort of begin to address some of that. Did did, you know. did did when he was hired? Did it feel like some of that was? Be, did it did it feel like a positive move? Did it? Was it was well, it... I think anything is a positive move, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. I think any movement to begin to talk about difficult conversations, especially if it's, it's around race, is a positive move. It's a step in the right direction, mm -hmm. right? Right, because I think the more we talk, the more comfortable we will be with being uncomfortable. Right, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. The living in that uncomfort. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And he brought. I don't know if Rhonda wants to. Speak speak to this but he brought many programs to right, the community because yeah, were there of that. some were there yeah. some programs that was there any programs that you that you know like spoke to HBCU you or that you really or, you know yeah. felt helped right so um I, meeting Lou Irving when I got here so I didn't um I moved to Manchester I think in 1994 mm -hmm. I think around 1994 I didn't work for the school system then right. but um <clears throat> I have my ch when I moved here my children attended the school system right and I am going to say that Lou Irving was definitely a mentor to, especially my daughter, because um, just to remind you, we moved from Brooklyn. Oh, okay. And so coming from Brooklyn and um, with my children attending schools where their educators were all black, mm -hmm. the students were all black, mm. uh, where expectations were high, uh, you know, you're going to come in here and do your schoolwork, where um, they felt comfortable, they didn't feel othered. Mm -hmm. um, that it was like that when I went to school because that's a whole nother story I didn't even tell you about that but anyway <laughs> but they um, <clears throat> and then come into Manchester to to attend school we lived in Vernon first and then we moved to Manchester so uh, as far as my like I said especially my daughter and uh, Lou Irving she attached to him like he was her 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 mentor mentor like an uncle yeah. and so some of the programs that he did um, provide and let children, students know about, especially at the high school level, where programs they had in the summertime where the, the kids could go to spend um, about a month, the month of July, mm -hmm. on a college campus. Oh, wow. And so both my daughter and my niece attended those programs, um, and also my stepdaughter. Um, so he kind of, he's, he was really important, um, you know, like a familiar name in our family. Yeah. And so when he passed away, it was definitely felt. Yeah. Yeah. He also, even though he had the students fill out applica applications to join those programs, he actually went up and visited them. Yeah. <laughs> so what a call, hey, Mr. Urban is here. He, you know, yeah. so I just want to say he that cared. he was, that he did, he really cared. And even for me as an adult um, working for the school system, I start, like I said, I started in 1996. Mm -hmm. You know, I also had many conversations with him also. He was definitely, definitely, definitely yeah. a pillar for the Manchester, Manchester community mm -hmm. and Manchester public school community. That's amazing. But he he started the the HBCU tours. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So he he was he represented mm -hmm. the beginning of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he where he would take about seventy five students. Now, not just from Manchester because obviously that was a small group of students. Okay, yeah. Right, but also in the in the entire state. Yeah. Okay, right? and take them down to you know like it could be to Lincoln, yeah. to Howard, mm -hmm. to Virginia State, you know, cool. to the HBCUs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
um, to Hampton, mm -hmm. to give them Morgan, to give them an experience that they could never shake yeah. or never understand, mm. you know, and to feel validated and to feel affirmed, you know, and to, to gain some knowledge and mm -hmm. to see themselves, right. Yeah. you That's, know, but in a positive light, yeah. right? As success, as agents of success. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is you know so. Yeah, that's amazing. I, so I, he did that, but he also helped create the race relations programs. Right. He right. was there when we did the Burt Phillips race relations programs as well, where that would include teachers, mm -hmm. where we would go away for two and a half days to again talk about the personal work the archaeological dig that we each yeah. have to do on ourselves so that you can understand how you've been socially and um, racially socialized. So um, I love and the way you forms, put that too, because it yeah. is, it is, you know, it's, it's years stacked on years. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's hereditary for some people. It is, yeah. it is, it is a learned behavior. And, oh yeah. And it does, it does take that. I love that the archaeological dig of self mm -hmm. and going, mm -hmm. why are you feeling this? Why are you uncomfortable with, these things absolutely yeah. which has everything to do with how you've been socialized mm -hmm. you know so um the lived experiences matter yeah and that's going to inform your interactions your interracial conversations your interracial relationships mm -hmm. you know your partnerships mm -hmm. which will inform what you do and how you do it yeah right you know and and how you move operationally so yeah. that matters yeah. and so yeah. going away for two or three days mm -hmm. made a difference because we got to know each other. Yeah. You know, and we got to sit in our discomfort mm -hmm. and to use language that to me will will language that will help us navigate those difficult conversations. Yeah. So, so he started all of that. Yeah. yeah. So have you both participated in those in those? Like, yeah. So what what does that look like? Like what would you know? What is, is it just is it kind of like sitting down? Is there someone who like, would lead it and say, hey, yeah. This is what we're going to talk about. You know, like here's this issue happened in school or like this is what we've been getting complaints about or whatever. But throw it out no. on the table. How, how did that look? Well, you go in with the the premise and the knowledge that uh, race matters. Mm. Right. And that it's a human issue. It's not about the students, mm. even though that's where oftentimes you have to start. Of course. Yeah. Right. So it's a two and a half day experience where you're really focusing on yourself and mm. why you do what you do, why you believe what you believe and what that means. Mm. But again, you're given a protocol to you so that you can navigate those conversations because mm. they're not easy to have. Right. And if you don't have four agreements, for example, saying, I'm going to speak my truth, I'm going to stay engaged, I'm going to lean into discomfort, and I'm going to accept and expect that this is not the end of the conversation. Right. So I can accept and expect non-closure, mm. right? Yeah. And then you go into using a, um, a compass, for example, where it's um, divided into four quadrants and, and it's focusing on how can you get centered? Mm. How do you feel about this particular topic? Now we're talking about race. That's emotional. It's emotional for me and mm. a lot of times it's emotional mm. for Rhonda because our lived experience is rooted in race. Whereas for you, you might intellectualize race, right? Because right? you don't have a personal connection. Right. So it's recognizing and understanding that I... Respect that, okay, you're intellectualizing it, and you understanding and respecting that I emote. Right. It. 
you know that it's emotional for me, mm-hmm. you know, or yeah. it might be about your belief. So you, you talk about that. And you, the idea is to get centered yeah. on the compass where are you emotional about it? What are your beliefs about it? Do you intellectualize it? And how can you address it, yeah. you know, action wise? And so and that was an important tool for me because because I take it personally, I'm watching what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then the minute you say to me, well, Diane, all of my friends aren't like that. You know, I'm not seeing the way, way that you see it. Then I'm going to get defensive. And then I'm going to say, you don't know what you're talking about, right. Ryan. And you're going to be like, why yeah. are you getting so upset, Diane? Right. I'm just telling, you know. Because it's, it's objective in my brain. It is it is a numbers. It's just, well, my, my five out of, you know, and and that becomes the, the that reality for, and, and this brain. This brain yeah. has its own reality. And that, I think that that is the bigger picture here. And that, that maybe is the theme that, it's stepping out of your own reality and allowing other realities to exist, which they do, whether you like it or not. These realities, what you, your lived experience, regardless if I want to believe it or not, or if somebody wants to think it did or didn't happen, right. it did. And right. and, and it's, it is that, that acceptance of... I, I, am, I have had a different experience, but it doesn't mean that what you went through doesn't matter now because I... What Bingo! I, you, know, right. you know, so Rhonda, what about you? How was your yeah. experience? Yeah, so I, I, I was just going to add to what um, Diane said, also to what you said, Ryan, is that when we think of the conversations and we think of the tool as mm-hmm. the compass, to me, something very important is that we have to enter those conversations knowing that we need to have compassion. Be- you just talked about how our experiences are different, our lived experiences are different. We're gonna we're going to approach the conversations through multiple perspectives, yeah. and that should be expected. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, like you said, you you look at it with numbers and things like that, yeah. and very in a very logical way. And then some of us who, uh, most of us who live these experiences, there 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 is a lot of emotion yeah. uh, tied to our experiences yeah. as it relates to race, because you know what, some of our experiences haven't been that nice, or that or they haven't been that pleasant. Uh, in terms of what we've what's happened as a result of the color of our skin, yeah. and so um, absolutely to be able to have con- interracial conversations about race is necessary. Yeah, and we you know and, and as Diane said, we we do need to have a guide yeah. to help us to be able to have the conversation. If not, the conversation is not going to happen mm. uh, because people are not. I don't. I'm not gonna say they're not ready, but most people. Um, they I may not be ready. They say. may not be. I'm going to say they <laughs> may not be fair. ready to handle yeah. that, um, to handle the multiple perspectives yeah. around situations that involve race. Yeah. And I will say, too, I want to touch on something that you had said, because we we're talking about, you know, you know, me thinking or somebody thinking about it intellectually versus emotionally. And we kind of said logically emotionally in my opinion does not equate to a lot even a logical or any you can be have that logical emotion you, where it's where it's no 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 i am getting i am feeling this emotion because of the logic in my brain of you are not hearing me and you are the 98th person this week who has not heard me and that, so like so that it's i am not being irrational in my in my response right. you unfortunately are getting the the emotional response because of how i i have been trying to be logical with how i present this information because i i again i didn't know any of this on the timeline mm-hmm. and 
I'm sure I know this is not the first time you have had to explain or had to elaborate on on your own experience and what is even happening still. Mm, yeah, and that yeah. I'm uh, you know the amount of patience that that requires um I think should be, you know, just brought up because that I I think it's it's amazing that you are able to continue mm-hmm. to to hold these conversations. Excuse me because of how important they are mm-hmm. and that you are able to continue that. Yeah. So I want to, I definitely want to yeah. say thank you for that, for, for well, to, to be facilitators in, in that thank difficult you. conversation. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I mean, I, I think what's important also Ryan to know is that <laughs> these aren't conversations that we really want to have, right? Mm-hmm. but these are conversations that we feel we have to have. And there's, there's a distinction. I, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people assume why is it always about race? Why does it have to about why does it always have to be about race? Well, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. why does it have to yeah. always be about race? I don't want to talk about race. I don't wake up and say, you know, today's going to be that day yeah. once again <laughs> where we're going to have this difficult conversation. I don't. Yeah. You know, I just want to be treated with respect and I just want to be honored for the person that I am. And I just want to be lifted up because my race matters and my culture matters too. Yeah. You know, and so that's that's it. Yeah. And my experience in Manchester public schools and in Manchester has not always been positive. Right. If if uh, if we're focusing on one culture mm. when there are multicultural multicultures right. here in Manchester. Absolutely. You know, and so we have these courageous conversations, not because we want to. But because we have to. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we we know how. We have been made to feel, but we also see it in the schools. Right. You know, we see it every day within the schools. Now, is it better today? Sure. And we're not there yet. I get it. We're, we're still sort of talking about what happened in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But the reasons these, these conversations happened, Ryan, again, was because the numbers were abysmal. Yeah. All right. Student, there was a, a huge opportunity gap, mm. largely rooted in academics and socioeconomics. Can right? you can you both elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I know that there was there was cases. You know the, the PJ case, I believe it was. Yeah, that will bring us around nineteen ninety nine to yeah. two thousand. Yeah. So so yes. what, what 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 was that that climate like within the school system? You know, with with going through all of that. You know, to speak on that. Yeah. So I'll start, and then Rhonda can mm-hmm. pick up. But um. Yeah, around 2000, um, Manchester was ranked number one for over-identifying black and brown boys into special ed. Number one. Number one. In in the state? In the state. That is correct. So if you were a black boy, you were five times likely to be labeled special ed. If you were a Hispanic boy, you were four times likely to be labeled special ed. Mm. And then the girls were a little bit lower, three times likely. That's, I'm honestly surprised to hear that because I, I, my, I, I'm familiar with, that's interesting. Okay, so. Right. Okay. Right. So mm-hmm. that's not a student issue. That is a human issue. Okay, that's a human issue. Yeah. And so the state of Connecticut cited Manchester along with four other towns mm. to participate in courageous conversations about race under uh, CERC. So they contracted services with CERC, 
which mm-hmm. at the time was called the Special Education Resource Center. Okay. Yeah, it's Capital Education Resource Council now. Now it's called. Um, now it's. Mm. I have to think about what it's actually called okay. today, but it's not special ed anymore. Right. right. They've gotten away from same that. initials though. Same, same initials. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. But um, so the state of Connecticut contracted services with Cirque. Mm-hmm. Cirque contracted services with Glenn Singleton, who is the founder of Courageous Conversations About Race, which is using a protocol mm-hmm. to engage in the conversation. Because if you don't have some sort of a protocol or mm-hmm. framework, mm-hmm. the conversation shuts down. Yep. And so we want to give you a framework, mm-hmm. a protocol to use so that you can engage without deflecting, mm-hmm. excusing, or being more uncomfortable Mm-hmm. Shutting down. Mm-hmm. So five towns had to participate. Manchester, Hartford, New London, East Hartford, and Windsor. Windsor. And, Windsor. Mm-hmm. and then we had to create a team to participate in these courageous conversations. Mm-hmm. And we did that. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, what well, yeah, Rhonda, can you can you what well, yeah, what were yeah, yeah, what's your experience what was what were the crazy so, conversations like? Yeah, how'd that go? So for me, um when I attended the first courageous conversations, um meeting we had meetings at the school district. Mm-hmm. We had meetings somewhere in Hartford, I can't really remember it's a long time ago, just to talk about the possibility of different all different yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but for me, uh, in terms of being able to attend those, I felt validated. Um, I felt that I wasn't going crazy yeah. <laughs> in terms of um, being able to, you know, working in a, for a school system or working for Manchester. Because, you know, uh, when, you, when you're an educator and you work for a system, uh, for the system back then, <laughs> there were so many things that I saw. And I remember mm-hmm. I told you that I worked in New York City first, in right. Brooklyn, I taught I taught there for about nine to ten years, and then to come over to Manchester um, and to work with the system and to notice—I'm mean, just going to say what it was—to mm. notice that the black boys were outside of the classroom, um, and that was okay to throw them out of the classroom. Mm. Um, to have to hear comments from educators that they thought was okay to say, like, "Oh, this Spanish child, she's whatever it was that she did, and it's because she's, you know, she's Hispanic," yep. and it's—I mean, just to hear those comments and. But all, the, all, the, all oh, the kids of color were in the uh, summer school classes. Right. That's all you saw were kids of color right. in summer school. Exactly. The kids of color were in the lower level classes. That's right. Yep. That's so right. it just goes on and, and on, on and on and on. And, on. and then to even hear, damn, and then to even hear um, black students, especially black boys, say that and they, they would know, well, hey, why am I in the stupid classes? Yeah. Knowing that these children could perform or even outperform some of their white counterparts, yeah, and um, so being able to go to the courageous conversations meetings in the beginning, I just loved it. I'm like, when's the next one? Yeah, right. It was it was affirming, right? It was affirming. It was validating. And um, the only thing though is that what I noticed was that. Most of the times, the white people who participated had an altogether different uh, perception of our meetings or those presentations by the by Cirque even or by Glenn Singleton himself. And so that's where we had that um, where people began to knock heads. It was almost 
conflictual, right? Diana they was angry. It was, they were. It was mm. terrible. They shut down. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to do it. Mm. But theoretically, they knew that they had to do it, mm -hmm. or at least central office administration mm -hmm. knew it had to be done. Mm -hmm. So, oh yes, that was a, a struggle. And so it began to bubble up mm -hmm. over the years between 2001 all the way to 2008. Okay. And at that time I was being awarded a, um, the multicultural, the irony in this, Multicultural <laughs> Educator of the Year Award. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up later, but yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad you did. Yeah, and in the me at the uh, board meeting, I, they asked me, why do you think there's a disconnect? And I said, well, there's a disconnect between black and brown boys and middle class and white teachers. Mm -hmm. And I also said, including myself, I included myself. Yeah. Well, the reporter at the time did not like that. Mm. Helen Eubanus. Mm. And she... I'll forget her name. Yeah, I'll never mm. forget her name. Mm. And mm. she wrote an article in the Hartford Current and basically said that I was um, using reverse, reverse racism against the district for and giving an then, honest answer about why the where the where the disconnect, disconnect. is okay. right right, right. yeah of and course okay furthermore what they did was the the union the teachers union decided you know what we're going to do something about this and they wrote a letter to the superintendent and read it at a board meeting mm -hmm. and basically said she is racist we love our kids we treat all of our kids the same and this is coming it's after years of doing this work. And I, Rhonda and I thought everything was going well. Yeah. Boy, were we disillusioned. Wow. And so they were yesing us and they were yesing everyone. Mm. By the way, they also said it was my work. The state said we needed to do this work, not Diane. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, this was from the state. Yeah. That was, yeah, the state level. That and was, then okayed by the superintendent, too. And absolutely yeah. okayed and, and endorsed it, by it, the superintendent. And it goes back to what you were saying about we don't want to do that. <laughs> we don't We don't want to have to have these classes. Right. But right. We, we need to. It's, right. Wow, okay. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. what they did was eliminate my position. Mm -hmm. But not only did they eliminate my position, they this eliminated. This was the equity position? Yes, in 2008. Right. They eliminated my position. They eliminated the science position, the district positions. Mm -hmm. They eliminated the um, reading language arts, computer or technology. They eliminated all the positions as a cover to really eliminate my position. Mm -hmm. Because what they did was put us in different positions. That's when Manchester decided that they needed to run adult ed themselves. Mm. And so um, that's where they said, oh, Diane, you can do, we're going to eliminate all these positions because mm -hmm. the attorney advised them to do that, mm -hmm. right? Because you can't just eliminate mine. Right. So you eliminate everybody's, mm -hmm. right? And then, Diane, you can run um, adult, adult ed, ed. Mm -hmm. right? They kept, Rhonda could speak for herself, but they kept Rhonda's position. And what position right? was that, Rhonda? Your position at the time was what? So I was then the um, the so my um, title then was equity coordinator equity at coordinator. that time, and um, but uh, after that happened with Diane and and that presentation at the board, there were principals who said, "Well, um, we don't want you to come into the schools anymore to do any trainings with our staff." So for a little while, I kind of just like sat down and I wow. and it was it was terrible for me because, like I said, I, I love doing the work. Yeah. And they discredited um, and it's her, her position. Right. Because right? now right. she has 
she doesn't have me as an administrator right, to sort of right. give validity and right. credence, right, right, right. credibility. So, and then, to be and like, then, yeah, she's got to know she's coming to the school and you're going to hold it at 2 o'clock. Right, right. Right, right, right. And then um, to, you know, to add, uh, to make it even worse, what they did was they said, okay, well, um, now what you'll do is you'll go into the high school and teach race relations for mm -hmm. like 45 to 50% of my time. And you know that once you get into the classroom, it's like really, that's all of your time. Yeah. Because it's not even, I mean, you're in class for a certain amount of time, but then you have papers to grade, projects to do. Yeah. You have all of that to do. So I, I and they said, oh, but it's only going to last for one semester. When actually it lasted for about two years. Jeez. And um, because they were trying to really, I believe, they were trying to figure out what to do with me. Like, mm -hmm. what, so what are we going to do with her? <laughs> you yeah. know? And um, finally, I did uh, have a conversation with the interim superintendent at the time. And he met with, he had a core group of principals that he met with. Um, mm -hmm. And then he they came to the decision like yeah Ronnie really needs to be out in schools we you know she so then I got a my full time position back good yeah um but it was that was a that was really a trying time yeah because I you know Diane went into a uh a, a um, BOE meeting and told the truth and as a result of that it was the department was just definitely uh disseminated like really didn't have a department we had a department yeah. but they stopped all the work three and then they all did yeah just the work was just about stopped but then when they gave me the position back as full time um you, so you have one person mm. in the entire district mm. which is crazy to do all of the uh the trainings around um, race and equity, like that's that's a setup for failure. You there's no yeah. way that one person could do that. Work. Absolutely. And not. then you know when you look at it, the work is more than just the training of teachers. There's so much more involved with the work. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and then Diane came back as a director when was it 2000? When did you come back? 2013 for equity. For, yeah, for equity. No, it was around 16. 16. But even before that, I think mm -hmm. what's important, uh, the other p yeah. important piece, mm -hmm. Ryan, is that they eliminated so many things. Mm -hmm. They decided, again, oh. no more race relations. Yeah. No more when you say um, no courageous more conversations. The classes. So the classes, it was a mandatory class. Program. It was a mandatory it was class, a class yeah, for ninth, ninth graders. graders. Ah. It was mandatory. So and they got rid of they, it. They got rid of it totally. They put it into the social studies um, department, social studies curriculum. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to just change focus the name. On race. Didn't want to, right. Yes, yes, yes. Right. And they but they stopped courageous conversations. So mm -hmm. remember yeah. We're supposed to be addressing disproportionality right. because, again, if you're a black boy, five times likely, didn't matter because teachers' feelings were hurt. And because they were hurt and, you know, staff was hurt, we had to accommodate them, not the students. So it became about the adult and not the students. Okay. So, yes, they eliminated my position. They um, devalued Rhonda's position. Mm -hmm. We couldn't do young women's leadership anymore. Yeah, could, that was I mean, something else. I for, I, that, that's another note that I had. Oh, I mean, it just goes on and on. They, you know, and grads and stars, those are programs, again, direct in direct response to the data. Yeah. And the data says that there's disproportionality. So you try to create programs to sort of support. 
and to bridge the gap. Yeah. That's why you do those so that right. you can get these students to catch up because of all of the disproportionality that is right. evident evident in the data. Right. I mean there's you know, there's so, there's been you know I know also in the timeline there's the school specifically students have gotten into fights there have been multiple there was an occasion you know just to i don't want to focus on the negatives too much but you know there was the incident at, you know the wendy's where somebody was you know assaulted oh, yeah. there have been there's multiple you know illing and i think illing and there's always an three. excuse there's always yeah and 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 it's it's interesting that with because we're thinking of we're doing the logical brain, right? You know, yeah. I'm I am an educator or I am a, I'm I'm an admin, and my logical brain says if there's evidence to to prove that we should have these classes, then we should have these classes. Right. I, why why was all of that not enough evidence? That's my. I mean, obviously, it's a kind of a a, a, right. a rhetorical question, but how much more evidence is needed to to prove that this is necessary but that's why i felt compelled to add that resource list at yeah. the bottom of the timeline yeah because i think if it wasn't there there'd be a reason why everything on the timeline wasn't true mm. you know or isn't true and i we talked to many people mm -hmm. you know again um across all cultural lines yeah. to validate and affirm this information yeah and no one can dispute it i think also <laughs> The fact that they said, we're going to bring adult ed. Adult ed? People don't think about adult ed. Mm. You know, that's not a feather in your cap to have right. adult ed. Because it really brings out your um, your disconnects, mm -hmm. right? Because you're, you're trying to get students who have dropped out of school to get their high school diploma. Or for those who don't speak English well, to learn how to speak English, right? right? And so for years... Since the 70s, Vernon ran Manchester's mm -hmm. adult ed Interesting. as a, a regional entity. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, we had a site in Manchester, but Vernon was the fiduciary. They would provide the... the, the correct. So Manchester would, pay, Manchester would pay Vernon mm -hmm. to run adult ed. Mm -hmm. But to eliminate equity, Manchester said, no, we'll do a feasibility study to see if we should and can run adult ed ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then they asked me to sort of oversee it. And so, of course, I, I, I did. I, what was yeah. I going to do, right? Yeah. I did. And, no, they weren't going to run me out of my town, you know. Um, and so I stuck with it. Mm -hmm. And it actually cost Manchester more to run its own program. Mm -hmm. And if we're trying to be fiscally responsible right. <laughs> or conservative, mm -hmm. that didn't align, yeah. right? Right, you right. know. So yeah, yeah. So I, we, here we are with adult ed, and um, the budget at the time, Manchester was paying Vernon about six hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars to run it themselves. It would bring them close to a million. Mm -hmm. So they had to come up with an additional three hundred thousand dollars at the time. Yeah, you just know, to, so just to that, do it themselves. Right. So that'll bring us to around two thousand eleven. Right. And still Rhonda feeling completely disenfranchised and not supported, yeah. but still doing her best. The one thing that we kept alive, one thing that we had to do through the Courageous Conversations in the early 2000s mm -hmm. was the um, equity teams, mm -hmm. right? So we had equity teams in every school. In 2008, you would think they would be completely eliminated, 
But Rhonda actually kept that alive. Nice. Yeah. So to this kept day, we still have mm-hmm. equity teams. How did you keep that going, Rhonda? Well, after the principals decided it was okay for me to come for me to come back in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to wait. I had to wait a minute. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Come in. You can yeah. come back now. Um, we went ahead and um, resurrected the equity teams in nice. the in the um, in every building um, in the in the district, That's and so amazing. we kept it up. We had conversations. Um, we also there were particular principals at the time too who wanted me to come in uh, if they it was okay to go back in to um, train their staff members in terms of to be to be able to have conversations about race because it's important. I mean, it's not just a uh, in the early days, I used to hear things like, oh, well, you're just doing this for the black kids. You're just doing this for the black kids. It's only about the, anytime they heard the word multicultural, they thought it was only about the black kids or the brown kids. But it's really about all kids. It's about everyone. And so yeah. um, I think people began to realize, well, I, you know, I, I really need to be here because uh, you look at our student population, especially now. I know we're going a little bit ahead of the timeline, mm. but... Uh, right now, Manchester is at around sixty-five percent children of color. Yeah. So you know you have you have to be able to at least be at least be able to um, communicate with the students and their families. You have to be able to do that, and yeah. you have yeah. to be able yeah. to know that you are going to have bias because of how you grew up. Diane talked about this earlier. How you were socialized. You have to be in touch with that because it definitely, definitely, definitely will um, show up in the way you interact with people. Yeah. And you have to be able to do that. And so there were some educators who were, you know, they and they, they would say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. I, I'm on my journey. I'm learning, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. That's wonderful to be open-minded in that way. But, uh, and, it's honest the, and, and honest about at. where you yeah. are. But everybody benefits from this work. Yeah. And it's not only children of color, staff of color, Everybody benefits. Yeah, so. I think our mindset is different today. Yeah, I think and so. to just so, give yeah. give give you appropriate context, yeah. right? In, two, in 1977, there was less than two percent students of color. I mean, I graduated with a class of six hundred, about six hundred ninety-eight. There were five of us, and it was all black. Cause I don't remember seeing Spanish, mm-hmm. uh, Hispanic, mm-hmm. Asian. I don't. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were there, but mm-hmm. I, I remember my five black friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, back in the late seventies, but today. We're at a different place. Yeah. Mm. You know, in the early 2000s, people didn't want to participate in courageous conversations. And the reviews were always negative. negative. Yeah. And they are always, this is divisive. This is bad. But under the leadership of, of Matt Gary, he came in, I think, with a different mindset um, that really embraced openness, mm. right, and objectivity. Mm. So we have evolved we are definitely number one hiring we're it's funny we probably are amongst the top five actually the governor came to manchester a couple weeks ago to lift up the fact that how important it is to hire staff of color yeah to align with the students of color again with 65 percent students of color hispanic being the largest around 30 something percent Mm -hmm. and then black students and then Asian students in that order. But anyway, he came to sort of, again, um, recognize the fact that we have about 23%, I think, admin of color mm-hmm. overall. I think the state average for just staff of color is around 10%, less than 10%. 
and Manchester is closer to 20%. I know you might say, well, that's not a lot. It's a lot comparatively when you compare us to the rest of the state. And that is a priority of the, the superintendent and the assistant superintendent of HR. So that's number one, good news. Yeah. Number two, I have a department. There are seven of us? Seven. Seven of us mm-hmm. in the Department of, of Race and Equity. Mm-hmm. And we are assigned to buildings, to work with buildings, to work with administrators, to, to work with staff, to sort of educate them. Using a framework, once again, mm-hmm. which I call the five equity elements. And again, it's to sort of help people unpack break down how to have courageous conversations about race and mm-hmm. equity. It's also gives it also gives people an opportunity to um, sort of chunk what it is that they need to do so that they can effectively again look at data, see where the disparities are mm-hmm. and use a tool to begin to address those disparities. Mm-hmm. you know so and we just had Glenn here last week and the reviews, were the complete antithesis to yeah, what it was when he was yeah. here 20 years ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, and then as far as the, the town, I think the town has owned a lot of um, the disconnects mm-hmm. and has apologized publicly. I know the mayor publicly apologized to me. Mm. Um, and so the, the fact that the mural, I think, mm-hmm. speaks for itself mm-hmm. and not just of me, but of... Um, Dr. Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. of Harriet Tubman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of John Lewis, right. the luminaries yeah, of which true. we are um, lifted up. And I think all of that just is affirming to me and gives me hope in humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're at a different place and it's a nice journey to be on. Have we arrived yet? Nope. No. Do we still have some work to do? Yes. But we have more people, Ryan, that to me, are taking your posture where, listen, I don't know everything. I don't know what I don't know, right. but I'm open to it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to respect Diane. I'm going to respect Rhonda how mm-hmm. you guys feel about it. Absolutely. You know, and I'm ready to engage. I don't have all the answers. Um, I'm not perfect, right. but I'm going to respect where mm-hmm. each person is mm-hmm. yeah. on their journey. Mm-hmm. And I do the same thing. I, I wasn't always that way. I definitely was not very forgiving. Mm. of mm. um white people and the mm. power of whiteness but i'm a lot i'm 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 in my glory and proud to be a part of a town that really has be, has um in my mind completely turned it around mm. and has a new approach mm-hmm. and attitude mm-hmm. about race relations in manchester mm-hmm. that's probably the most yeah. positive thing i feel yeah. like right now like that that makes me feel you know working for the town mm-hmm. that makes me feel Good to know that mm-hmm. coming from both yeah. of you, who again have had personal experience, mm-hmm. have been fighting this, you mm-hmm. know, forever. It's good to hear that it's improving. It is positive to hear that it went from getting rid of equity positions, getting rid, you know, disenfranchising, you know, positions that are already there, yeah. to now going, maybe hopefully, back up. In, we in, hope in so. That yeah. Direction. No, we yeah. absolutely hope so. Even yeah, with with we had a um, organization back in the day called SOC, mm-hmm. and it was we started actually with staff, right, um, to again empower and uplift, and then we got the community involved, and the community latched onto that. And when mm-hmm. I say community, I'm talking about the, the black and brown community, in particular black, mm-hmm. where they actually latched onto that, right, and so they became the support to the community. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was the bridge between the community and the school. 
Mm-hmm. And so until, again, the position was eliminated, so it sort of sort of fizzled. But then Rhonda brought back um, another version of SOC called ABAC right, to right. continue, mm-hmm. again, to, to keep the community involved. Right. So, well. and, and as Diane said earlier, uh, to keep the black community involved mm-hmm. and... Um, so, and to be a support for one another and then to also, whereas SOC was basically, um, had a focus of education, mm-hmm. um, ABAC, the African American and Black Affairs Council, it, um, it's there to support all aspects of black lived experiences mm. in Manchester and also to eliminate the injustices that exist because there are still injustices that exist in town. Uh, so that's that's the role of, of, um, of ABAC. So we're still going strong. And what's really wonderful, and uh, you know, the, on the positive piggybacking off of what Diane said, mm-hmm. in 2020, when the George Floyd incident happened, mm-hmm. um, ABAC, along with a couple of other organizations in town, we had one of the, had the largest protests ever in Manchester. We organized that. Mm. Diane was involved. A lot of us were involved with that. Mm. And um, something that's atypical of protests with that was that the police department was also involved with yeah, us. Right. So that very was atypical. Very supportive. And yeah. the other and the um, and the other part of it too was that our town manager was um, involved at the time. As a matter of fact, he gave us a ride wow, uh, yeah. to the protest in terms of where it was going to begin or where it was going. I don't remember. Maybe we walked the whole time. And he said, "Oh, you guys, you guys look tired. Come ride in my car." And I can't remember which one it yeah, was a couple yeah. of years ago. But I, I just want to say that you know, Diane talked about. Um, Manchester and, and how much we've evolved and the the, the positive, mm. uh, how positive the environment is and how welcoming the environment is at this particular point in time. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to um, agree with her. Uh, I, and, you know, I think at this point, um, I'm a grandparent. Diane's a grandparent, too. I mean, I, we have several grandchildren, that, and I, I have three. Diane has four. And um, for me, I have my grandchildren are growing up here. Yeah. And I definitely see a difference in terms of where my children grew up here. I mean, I was at the school like every other day advocating for my children because yeah. I knew that racism was definitely a part of some of the struggles that they had. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, I, you know, for right now, I, my uh, oldest grandson, I mean, he... And when he was in fourth grade, I'm so proud of him. But he was the he won the invention convention. I mean, as a fourth grader yeah. at Bowers Elementary, and they've never had a black child win that because wow, they, they didn't yeah. look at black children to really have the ability to do something yeah. like that. I, I have so many other um, examples, but I just want to say and definitely agree with them, Diane. I, I have a lot of hope for the future. Yeah. Um, I, and and uh, maybe this definitely this will be a better place for my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, 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 I'm proud of that. But we will continue. I believe Diane and I will continue our work until, you know, we can't, walk anymore maybe I can't breathe anymore (laughs) well support looks different today though Ryan support support in the 70s and in the 80s was yes Diane you know you're you're gonna get through this you know Mm -hmm. it's gonna be okay Mm -hmm. and then they secretly tell you I'm with you just don't tell anyone whereas today's support looks like I am an ally for you Diane and I am going to speak up for you Mm -hmm. and I do speak up for you right Right. And then uh, the last thing I wanted to share with you that I also think is important is that now we also have a town um, equity committee, if you will, mm-hmm. with all of the leadership. 
So the mayor is involved. The town um, manager is involved. The CEO and COO of the hospital is involved. Mm -hmm. The the fire department, all of the departments, DCF, um, Chris Silver, you know. We have, uh, you know, um, human, what's it called? Human resources, not human resources. Social services. Social services. Social services. Town manager. Yeah, yeah. And so we meet every other month. And the police chief and his sergeants um, are involved as well. And so we have courageous conversations on a bi-monthly basis to talk about, again, how to have these conversations, including the principal of East Catholic as well and the superintendent Mm -hmm. are all a part of this committee. That's not noted in the timeline because that's been more recent. recent. Yeah. You know, but um, we've been meeting now for this is a second or third year. This might be the third year that we're actually doing that. Yeah. Where we meet to just talk about how's it going. Yeah. And again, to give them scenarios and language mm-hmm. and knowledge about how to continue the conversation beyond this body. Yeah. How do you both feel that those do you feel like those conversations have made more of an impact than, you know, previous you know, personal development, you know, kind of courses? Like, do you feel that this, you know, bringing in all of these officials, all of these admins into one place, do you feel hurt? Like, do you feel like it's being received well? Do you, you know, does it feel like it's, 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 it's been going in a direction, you know, like that, that you're happy with? Yeah, I feel like in terms of that um, particular, I'm going to say committee or, or, or group, is that it, this is the right time for it. Mm-hmm. I believe that if it was 10 years ago, I don't know if it would go as well as it's going now. Right. But I feel like the people that attend um, these meetings, they're, they're open. Mm. I mean, everybody's on their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not all in the same place. Right. But I definitely feel like everybody's open to having conversations. And uh, like I said, if, if it was 10 years ago, I don't even know if they would come. Um, yeah, and, and I think Rhonda's so. right. Mm-hmm. They're open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think, again, if you don't know what you don't know, you don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a lot of times once they leave, they may, you know, they may, again, do things the way that they've always done them. Right. But um, that's why I think meeting with them on a regular basis is very important. Mm-hmm. And again, there's a continuum, right? And so everybody is at a, a different place. But I think the intentions are there mm-hmm. and they're all great intentions regardless of the impact. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and they're open to it. They're open. Yeah. You know, but we still have we still, still have work, have work to do. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. It is not yeah, it is it is a a it's like it's like a battle has been won, but the war's not over. You Absolute know? continuing. You know, the most recent you know, I feel like you guys are are making such an impact on the current state of affairs with all of that. Um, but, you know, and that's that's the scope of, and, you know, I think Manchester is very lucky to have you both because I think in the scope of Manchester, those are a lot of battles won, a lot of hard-fought battles. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, the war is, is continuing. Far from it's over. Far yes. From right. over. Yes. Um, and I will say, too, something I wanted to say as well, uh, you know, it, you know, I, I, you hear the, the terminology generational trauma, and it goes for for both sides of the coin. Where you know these people, some people might you know who are maybe closed minded, don't realize that 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 they're experiencing trauma, and right. and they need to do that archaeological dig, as you right. put, to, right, to, right. to unpack. Yeah. That yeah. That's right. That's right. That's and, right. And, and and you you know you with with your son too, or excuse me, your grandson, and, and winning these things. You know, them having the opportunities that 
other people didn't have in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and even right. the early 2000s. Right. You know, that that is also breaking, you know, what you know, the experiences that you guys have had, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's 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 for me it was it was uh, thank you for sharing that story because that that to me is the start of breaking that generational trauma, having somebody where he 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 doesn't know, you know, what it's like to to experience that as much as somebody else did, you know, somebody else, you know, for years and stuff. So again, not perfect, but progress, progress in the right direction. Right. Um, so again, thank you both just for, for sharing all of your person, all your stories and stuff. I think that's, it's incredibly helpful. I I do want to say one person though, has, who has been on this journey Mm. from the very beginning and was never afraid to speak up is Reverend Josh Pollock. Mm. Right. So I do have to absolutely yeah. honor him because mm-hmm. I can't say that about um, many um, white people in mm-hmm. my experience mm-hmm. over the last 30, 40. I've been here 50 years in right. this town, but he has been a constant, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. for sure. As long as he's been here, I don't know how long he's been here, but ever since he got here, he's always never afraid to talk about race. Mm-hmm. And I'm always proud and honored when white people are you know yeah. absolutely talk about yeah. race without worrying about what their neighbor is going to say right right because right. that's uh, for me that I and mean, that's where it starts too you know i you know i m- me being a man even you know i i see the way women are treated and i see the way that you know the struggles that just being a woman people have to go through but it requires being aware of the people around you and how they are treating other people. It's not just it's accountability. It, it's right. accountability. Internal like, yes. accountability. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And, and I think in this, in this particular case, it sounds like there's more people holding themselves accountable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, That's definitely our yeah. biggest, our struggle today. And what, one of the biggest things that we prioritize now is trying to protect uh, the BIPOC staff and students. Mm. Well, and, and for us, it would be the, the, the students, and we're, we're not, not the students. We do want to protect the students, right, I don't want to right. say that. <laughs> but I'm saying in terms of our work, right. is to really do whatever we can to make sure that BIPOC feels safe in their environment. Because I think the difference between Rhonda and me and other people is that we were definitely alone. We were by ourselves and we had to figure it out yeah. years ago. Yeah. Right. We didn't have anyone around us sort of lifting us up. Mm. And that's a lonely feeling. Now, today, I feel like I have complete support of mm. many um, of mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. colleagues yep. all of all races. Yeah. I absolutely feel that 100% when I didn't feel that years ago. Mm-hmm. So... What we're trying to do now, though, is to make sure that we are supporting other BIPOC who don't feel as empowered Mm. as we do. Mm. Because what's happening is, you know, staff of color, they're excited about us doing this work. But when their colleagues aren't doing it, we don't know. We're assuming that people are doing what we ask them to do. And so it can be lonely, you know, at the schools. Mm. If you're the only staff of color you don't want to say anything and sometimes we forget about that and that's why we have to prioritize it absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, i definitely agree um i remember uh the first school that i taught in in manchester was manchester high school Mm. and it was i was in culture shock and um and i say culture shock because 
I hadn't experienced anything like Manchester High School in terms of the perceptions that other educators and even some administrators had of children of color. Wow. Remember, I, I told you I taught in Brooklyn, New York. And, and of you. And, and of, of me. me. And of me and, right. You know? And um, mm-hmm. of staff, too. And so you're right. And so when I think about how I felt coming in yeah. and how I was treated and comments that were made, um, I, def- I definitely agree with Diane in terms of the support of BIPOC. They need that support because I wouldn't want anyone to, to feel the way that I did. Yeah. Um, uh, back in the day, I was short story. So yeah, of I course. there was a I was at Ealing at the time, um, and of course teachers get cafeteria duty. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> there was a little boy uh, came over to me and he said um, he said um, the, the the kid over there is choking. Middle schoolers, you know they they're always kidding around. I said okay, go back and sit down. Right. But then he said no, he's choking. And so so I said well let me go over and see. And sure enough the it's the reason I'm telling the story. The little boy was choking. So I went over and I did the Heimlich maneuver. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I was so afraid. The little, the little boy was so small. I was afraid he was going to crack his ribs. Oh, my God. A little, yeah, a, little, yeah. a little tiny seventh grader. Oh. And so I did the Heimlich maneuver. And um, the chip that he was choking on came out of, came out of his mouth. He, was, mm-hmm. he actually had started to turn blue. Oh, wow. And um, so it came out. He... Uh, then he coughed, and he, you know, the, the, the nurse came in. With, I didn't even have a radio. The nurse came in with a, one of the. I sent one of the kids in to mm-hmm. get the nurse, and then uh, they they took him out in the wheelchair. So I was that was trauma for me. So yeah. I, I really couldn't talk for a minute. So the principal came in at the time, and he looked at me like, "What did you do?" And I said, "Oh my gosh!" I said, "Well, I just said the Heimlich on this little kid." Yeah. And he just shook his head like um, like that was something that I was not supposed to do. But I, so I'm talking about like just like 1999, yeah, 2000, yeah, yeah. many years ago. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I, I really believe if I had been a white woman, mm. he would not have had that reaction toward me. Yeah. Um, even though I did something that saved a child's life. Yeah. And so... Getting back to BIPOC in terms of how you really can feel isolated um, as a staff member. Yeah. And, and so Diane is right. We definitely, in terms of the support that we have to provide, um, BIPOC is really, it's very, very, very important. Absolutely. Because I yeah. basically didn't have any support to say, oh, I just did this to this kid. And, you know, somebody say, well, you, you're going to be okay. Yeah. And that was not the... Yeah, that was not um, what happened at all, you know. And uh, I too, I need to support. After that. And whether he, and whether that principal was really looking at Rhonda as a black woman or not, based on her lived experience, that's how she perceived. That's it. how I, I was. Felt that's exactly what I was going to say. Because yeah. I, I feel as an isolated incident, somebody yeah. hears that story, or, yeah. you know, and they okay, well, I mean, you, you, know, you did, yeah. you did something. Maybe you didn't understand. And it's like, yes, that's every day for me so i is there any other uh, the personal experiences you know with, within the past you know we'll, we'll even go back to you know the past like five years or so have, have has there been you know the the experiences like that more recently what i think is that if we were able to in within this podcast mm. have at least 10 to 15 people who were bipoc mm. staff members faculty and staff mm. And you ask that question, mm. you'll be able to come up with a conclusion. Right. And that for some of them, most of them, those experiences still exist. Yeah.
Yeah. They don't exist in the same way for me and Rhonda. Right. Because we're almost institutionalized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, so it doesn't exist in the same way. Right. And so that's why you know, I personally always have to be reminded, and Renice Washington is the person who will remind me in a minute, don't forget about BIPOC, don't forget about BIPOC, because I'm assuming, no, everything's good, you know. But that's because we have the support of Matt Gary, we have the support of Amy Radicus. You know, we have the support of Central Office. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, I do. But, yeah. So we don't have to answer to a principal or work alongside a colleague that doesn't look like me. Right. You know, we're the ones who are saying you should do this. So whether they believe us or not, they're going to say, you know, they're going to shake their head. Yeah. I all that said though. We're still at a better place, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it, it's yeah. just, a, and and we, the reality too is, we have a lot more staff of color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those issues are going to rise to the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. So oh yeah, we've we could share stories. Oh yeah, know, we have yeah. a lot of stories, and um, I think too. Stories, um, and I, I, I hate to say this, Diane, but it's generational, and I think that stop um, aging us. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I think that um, when we mm-hmm. had those experiences years ago, we were just told, "Well, you just have to deal with it." Like we had to deal with it. We had to just suck it up, go in every day, um, deal with whatever it was. The comments were made, or how when we noticed how children were, um, mm-hmm. children were treated. Um, I mean, we, I know I did, we were exaggerating, right? I know, I know you spoke, I know I spoke out in schools that I worked in. Yeah. Um, but then it was like Diane said, it looked at, look, we were, it was looked like we were the problem. Right. Rather than this is what, what really, um, exists, but we dealt with it. Yeah. I think, um, nowadays in terms of the, um, BIPOC staff and, um, faculty and staff who are working in the schools, they're like, oh, I shouldn't have to deal with this. But in our generation, right. it was like, well, no, you have to deal with this. Yeah. If you're going to keep your job, you got to just go ahead and deal with it. But it's a different time now. Yeah. So I think that's the other the other part of it too. Yeah. Well, and so, I, I appreciate yeah. that you that you both. I think if I'm if I maybe I'm speaking too much from personal experience, mm-hmm. but. I feel like it, it could be very easy for people who have gone through, you know, I, I have to deal with it and now see, you know, like, oh, well, you, you didn't yes, you didn't go through what I went through. Like you can you can ask for help. Yeah. You, seriously, right. I'll, right. I'll, I'll, for the military, for me, you right. know, I, when I joined the military, when I went through basic training, mm-hmm. I got my my face pushed in and I got mm-hmm. doing all this. And now they've got, you know, there's like sensitivity cards. Where you can like raise cards <laughs> and say, well, I'm, you're yelling too much at me. And, so for, and for me, I was like, what the heck? I was like, I was, like, I was eating off. I was using my toothbrush to scrub the floor. And that, you know, and, uh, but it, it, it is, it is a testament to your work and to yourselves as people that it, the joy that it brings that somebody can, can, bring it up somebody yeah. somebody has, oh yeah, can yeah. have less fear mm-hmm. to, to bring it up and say hey yeah. I, I i don't I, I don't know maybe it was nothing but they made this comment and whereas before it was like why are you even bringing this up why right. are you even talking about this right, right you right. opened that dialogue right you know you right right you again not without sitting on the shoulders of people like john lewis right harriet tubman absolutely, absolutely. dr martin luther king mm-hmm. jr who um gave his life mm-hmm. you know for me 
you know, and for Rhonda yeah, and for, you know, Marcus Garvey, Malcolm mm -hmm. X, I can go on. Absolutely. You know, so I have to give honor to them, to mm -hmm. my ancestors and to my my mother, yep. you know, and to my family, yep. you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's I, I appreciate that because it, it is it is it's generate it's been it's been going on forever. And yep. it's it's mm -hmm. you are contributing to that work in a very positive way. In a very big way for Manchester, I yeah. think both of you. I think Thank that you. you know they. I think you know. I, I do. I I'm gonna say I I think that we owe you guys a lot just for the again even just putting together information for people to to consume that information and, and to learn. Mm -hmm. um, that's mm -hmm. a huge first step I think right. for for opening for for opening the dialogue, opening up people's minds. You know, seeing it, seeing it on paper. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's what it takes for people right. is to see it, and right. I, I and appreciate and for that. you guys to be, you know, I I feel also hopeful and honored that you're even taking this on. You mm -hmm. don't have to. And I again, twenty years ago, there's no way Manchester would remember us or think about us. Yeah. You know, and so for Manchester, the town, to really acknowledge and recognize that race matters. And racism hurts yeah. everyone. I think is huge. So I appreciate you bringing this to light. Mm -hmm. well, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I feel I feel lucky to be able to honestly. Yeah. I think that it's mm -hmm. it's a conversation that you. I am happy to, to finally join the conversation. Yes, I absolutely. appreciate you mm -hmm. inviting me to the conversation by coming on and mm -hmm. and having these discussions with me. Um, because you know I I I proud to be part of that conversation and even in a small way. Um, but I'm. The, with this being the bicentennial and this being a a a something we're going to continue to show people and continue mm. to have right i hope that your voices can you know continue to be heard mm -hmm. for years and years and years to come um while people can you know watch this and see this and listen to this and never forget you know what has happened and the work that you know the work that people put in to 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 change the future Right. Yeah, I know you're trying to close this out, but I got to say this, you know. I know that's what you're trying to do. Kind of. <laughs> like, can we, end this? can we end this already? <laughs> so you don't have to yeah. include this if you don't want to, but I'm thinking about the next generation, and I think about my granddaughter mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, and my daughter. And, you know, we my daughter had a, a struggling experience um, at the hospital. Mm. Um, a, a year ago or maybe a couple years ago as she was giving birth. Mm. And um, I really believe it was motivated by race. Mm. But <laughs> what was beautiful about it is I spoke to the leadership of the hospital and the way that they addressed it was the, the classiest, most classic, appropriate, professional um, way that anyone could address it. Mm. And again, all rooted in race yeah. and ownership. And it just makes me feel encouraged mm -hmm. and, um, you know, um, excited about and not worried about my granddaughter being in Manchester yeah. because her birth was done with, you know, was just done with such respect and dignity. And they just um, they just did it well. You know, yeah. in terms mm -hmm. of making me feel better about being in Manchester and Manchester Hospital as my child yeah. gave birth yeah. to the Absolute. next generation. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I know. Just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you saw, can we you saw me. Uh, I, I got <laughs> and you. And so I, I thought of this when uh, 
Diane mentioned Josh Palick. Yeah. And we also, also in Manchester, um, this gentleman has passed away about two years at this point. An Irish gentleman, gentleman his name um, was John Foley. Mm -hmm. I have to mention John Foley because he actually um, helped to lead what was called the Manchester Interracial Council. Mm. And he didn't have to do it as, as, a, as a white man. He also helped to organize the community conversations about race that happened in the late 90s and the mm. early 2000s where community, I mean, community members actually got together to talk about race. And, um, and there were some, some things that came out of that in terms of, uh, like I said, around that time, Manchester was a town in transition where you had more people of color move in. Right. And so what came out of those conversations was something like a welcome center that's at Town Hall now. Also a logo that I you know, I don't throw anything away, so I kind of um, I emailed that yeah, to you the other day, and it was a, uh, they sponsored a um, logo contest at Manchester High School back then. Yeah. For, and the kids ca actually came up with a logo for the town. Some departments in the town still use it, other departments don't. Mm. But it's at the it had a profile of three people of different color different colors and mm. they said racial unity in the Manchester community oh, and um, yeah and, and I have a, a picture of it I can send I it to you like I have a picture we'll definitely to send that. it to you yeah. but I think some people have forgotten about that but yeah. I just had to mention his name because he definitely uh, was a, a gentleman who was all about racial justice back then yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that's a very and important Josh. during that time. Yes. Yeah, yes, that was so seemingly unheard of. It seems like back then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, thank you for bringing him up. I really appreciate yeah, that. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. But yeah, thank yeah. you both again for being mm -hmm. here and for participating in this conversation. Mm -hmm. I really, I again, I can't thank you enough because it just it it's I I need information like this because yep. I I have a hard time sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, listening even on any given day, we all, everyone's got crazy stuff going yeah, on yeah. in life. Um, it doesn't take long to to hear somebody out, though. It doesn't right. take long to open no. your ears. That's it doesn't right. take long to open your heart and just listen. So, mm -hmm. thank you for allowing oh, me the chance to listen. Thank you. Um, thank you for speaking. I, you know, the town really appreciates it. Um, you know, Parks and Rec appreciates it. I appreciate yeah, it. Definitely. Um, so, thank you both very much again. All right. Thank you. Take care. Appreciate it. Thank you.